Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. that to me, man. I don't need much to get emotional anymore. I'm like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet up here, man. Every time I come up here, I cry. And I'm going to try not to do that today, quite honestly. I'm going to do my best. Um, But uh, I wanted to share um, a message that I had started with you guys uh, last time we were here regarding melodies. But I want to go a little deeper into that message. But before we begin, before we even get started, I want to share some melodies with you. And, and when, we, when we do these real quick, some of you might get a kick out of this. I think uh, it might take you back. Uh, you might not know what it is. And I, and I kept it G. You know, I kept it real G for you guys. I don't want nobody coming back to me saying, oh, man, I don't know. That, kind of ch- that church is not good. So, uh, so I just kept it G for you guys. So we're, let's hear some quick melodies. Let's put the first one up. Here it comes, here it comes. You know? Who remembers that? Some some of them weren't born. Most of those probably weren't born. I don't know. I don't think I was born. But I remember it. Mike, Mike Myers, Halloween. That's the theme song to Mike Myers Halloween. Let's hear the next one real quick. Let's change it up. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Wait a sec. <laughs> Ready or not, here I come. Come on, you got to Gonna find you. That's Christian right there. Take it slowly. Ready or not, here I come. That's good right there. You guys remember that? Where were you? Where were you when that happened? It makes brings back memories, right? All right, let's let's change up. Let's see the next one. A little little change of I don't know if anybody here knows does anybody know this song this is one of my favorite songs nobody knows this it's from Hialeah that's why you guys are from Hialeah that's that she talks to angels by uh, Black Crows it's a beautiful strum can you hear it there it's a beautiful beautiful intro all right, let's, let's do one more. We're going to take it back a little bit. You guys like this. Come on. Sophie, where's Sophie? Come on. We're going to bring her up here. She's going to start jamming. All right? That's a jam. That's a jam. All right, that's good. That's good. Hmm, man. I can see moving, bro. So... I wanted to share these melodies with you, and I, and I tried to choose a little bit of different themes and, and, and styles uh, for, for us, different ages and stuff like that. But it did something in you, right, when you heard this. Come on. You know, the moment you heard that song, you're like, what? I remember where we were. Hopefully, hopefully Halloween wasn't the movie that you got dumped to, hopefully. Hopefully, you know, because if not, I got, I'm guessing you were in the movie theater when it happened. And they're like, dude, sorry, it doesn't happen. You know, like. Oh, shoot, they just dumped me in the movie theater, Halloween. But, but these melodies, they stir 
motions in us, right? They do something when we hear them, you know? And, and in the same way, I wanted to talk a little bit more about melodies because we also carry a melody ourselves, okay? And the melody that we carry today, the one that I want to speak about today is called passion. Now, last time I, we came here, I was talking to you guys about what melody is. And I was mentioning that melody, mel, melody is a lifestyle, right? It's, it's the way we live our lives before this world, right? And, and we have a different kind of melody than what this world gives. When you're out there and you're doing things, you're just living life, people will perceive something about you. And that melody that we offer is peculiar. It's different from the rest of the world, right? And so it's going to be examined. And what, what they're going to see, hopefully, what we, we hope to portray through our lifestyles and, and our lives is that it's something that's not just good, but it's divine. And that was the message I said, Shared to you last time, like, and if we could say I'm good, like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I courtesy flush. You know what I'm saying? I, like, when I go out there, I courtesy flush all the time. Like, in my house, I courtesy flush too. Unless maybe, unless, unless she upsets me, then, then I don't courtesy flush. You know, because she can feel the wrath of Khan. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't, I double dip. I don't double dip. Well, here double dips, bro. You guys are bad, bro. You're not even good. You're not even, look at this. You guys, I double dip at home, but that's okay. And then, you know, I'll, I'll get Luna, my dog, and I'll let her double dip too, you know, have some of that. But, no, I'm just kidding. I look both ways before I cross the street. Have you guys noticed those people that don't do that? That's crazy. I almost ran over my high school, one of my high school students. It wasn't my fault. I was looking. I was in the, in the intersection. I was going to make a right, and I saw her getting there but I was there already like you don't you gotta look right have you guys ever had somebody do that like they, they just cross they don't even look all the time and I almost ran her over I was like whoa I was like what are you doing and I was like oh my god it's my student <laughs> I almost ran over but you know we can be good people people we can give off a melody doing nice things but but we're called for more than just good you know there's a lot of great efforts in this world that are done we're we're we do good efforts, but people will see them as being a good uh, work. But, but our efforts is not just something that's temporal good. It's something that's divine good. And so, and so that's the melody of passion that we're called to sing. And I want to define this passion, okay, that I'm talking about to you before we even begin. I want to talk about passion. And I made my own definition of passion. I don't know. Something came in me. I just, God was speaking to me. And this is the definition of passion that I want to give you guys. Okay? Here it is. Passion is the ultimate expression of a life, or, or sorry, passion is the ultimate expression of love through a life that's given in one thing, to one thing. Okay? A life focused on one thing. I'm going to say it again. Passion is the ultimate expression of love through a life focused or given to one thing, dot, 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 that's on my notes, <laughs> intimacy with the Father, one thing. Again, passion is the ultimate expression of love, okay, through a life focused or given to one thing, intimacy with the Father. This is what we're called to. We're called to a one thing focus, one thing that consumes us. One thing where we put all our passions, all our thoughts, all our mind, all our heart into, we pour it into this one thing. 
intimacy with God. And I want to talk about what this passion is and what it does. How it looks like when we actually focus on nothing other. We have no other agendas. We have a lot of great works that we can do, but we have no other focus, no other agenda, nothing else that we give ourselves to wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, completely, right? No greater work, no greater work. Sometimes we get caught up with the works and the efforts and God is telling us, man, I just wish you had passion for one thing right now. I just wish you had passion just to seek me more, to get a little bit closer to me, to come to the secret place where nobody else sees you. Nobody else sees, it's very obscure. It's, it, nobody knows what's going on in that one place. But that's the passion that you have. That's the thing that drives you, the thing that leads you into this, into this one place because all you can think about when you're not doing it is next time you're going to do it. When can I get next to you, God, again? Man, I, you, know, you have your, your job. You, know, you, you have your responsibilities. Amen. And we honor God with all those things. But you're, you're thinking in your head, when's the next time I can speak to you? When's the next moment that I can just have a moment just to share my heart a little bit with you? Amen? So that's passion. So one thing focus, your time spent, your efforts offered, getting closer to God. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Like, like to do that, to, to just say, man, all it is is prayer. All it is is coming to God and start praying. Come to the secret place where nobody else sees you. And, and in the most, the most difficult moments in your, in your day, because you know what, for me personally, for me it's late, late at night or very, very early in the morning. It used to be early, early in the morning when I did it, but I can't, man. I'm not a morning person. So it has to be late, late at night, okay? Or sometimes lunchtime. I don't know, man. I try to, to have a moment where it's just me and God. But sometimes it's easy to get caught up, and we don't have that. It's not our main focus. We get, it's, it's okay. That happens to me. It happens to everybody. We get caught up with our lives. And, we don't, and we, sometimes we think that it's okay. I'm just going to read the word. But we don't come to that intimate place with the Lord where, where things start occurring that don't happen when you just open the Bible in front of you. Things happen when you're just coming to that intimate place, when your passion is, is just getting closer, nearer to him. Something that you can't explain happens, but you start seeing it happen around you. You start feeling it happen inside of you. People start noticing it around you. Something changes when we have a one thing focus, when our focus is passionately coming closer to God. Amen? So, you know, we, we can do many things. You know, we, 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 ha- we can have a, 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 a very... Uh, uh, we can be very focused on like apologetics, you know, on, on learning about uh, the end of the age and the sequence of things and how, how is the end times going to happen or, or predestination. There's so many theological things we can focus on to gain wisdom, to get to know the Lord. But do you know that your, your greatest wisdom, your greatest understanding of God is not going to come from your, 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 um, your, your constant uh, study of the word necessarily? You're going to get to know it. But it's when you take those things that you're studying and you bring it back to that intimate place. When you, when you study what you're studying, you say, oh man, that's amazing what I just read. But there's more in there. There's, there's more what I'm reading in there. There's more there. Every time I read now, I, I, I grab a verse of the Bible and I say, man, there's something else going on inside of that. I, I don't know what it is, but I got to take it to God. I got to take it to God. And I spend time just in, in a verse. And, I, and, I, and I'm praying to God. And I'm saying, Lord, what? 
what are you what else are you saying here i know there's more to this your greatest revelations are going to come in that intimate place your greatest revelations of the truth of the word aren't just going to come from your study you can prove a million things to anybody but check check this out solomon look at solomon with his great wisdom the greatest wisest man that ever to ever to live how did he inherit that wisdom he inherited it in prayer he didn't he didn't do anything else he prayed to God he asked God for wisdom and you know why God gave it to him I believe as you read the story of Solomon the reason he inherited it is because his whole kingdom was established on intimacy with God when you read the story of Solomon you see that he, what he did was he built the temple so what was that what did that represent when you're building, when he wanted to do his work and building a temple for the Lord, all that represented is that he wanted God close to him. He wanted to be intimate with the Father. So if we look at the story of Solomon, in all his great wisdom, there was something that it came from. There was one thing that he focused on, is that he wanted to be closer to God every time. That was his life. That was how he established his kingdom. And that's what God wants to do in us. One thing, all the great things we can learn in the Bible are amazing, but it's not, we, we don't do it to try to prove ourselves to people because we are only approved by him. You know, in talking about being, being approved by one thing, um, it, it reminds me of a verse. Um, and it's, and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to read that real quick for you guys. It's in 2 Timothy 2.15, and I'm sorry because I gave the media people my, my verses, but I told them, I'm sorry, but if I move around somewhere else and it's not in order, so I'm going to give you some time. 2 Timothy 2.15, it's already up there, amen. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, truth the truth that god has given is he's already given it to us it's already it's it's already given perfectly to us what we have to do is when we come to the truth is we don't prove ourselves by studying when it says be diligent to present yourselves is that when we study the truth we become the truth and that's how we are approved it's not that we study the word and we have this great wisdom and we can prove why why predestination is or why this is or why Paul it's not even about that. It's that as you study the word, you bring it back to the intimate place. And all of a sudden, as you're dwelling in that, as you're meditating on the word, then all of a sudden it becomes you. Amen? So, so it says, be diligent to present yourselves. Become the truth of God. Become the truth. So, it's what we become. Now, there's a whole nother uh, definition that I found that describes passion and I found it on Google you Google everything right I found it on Google and I was I want to see what Google says about what passion is and I found it it says a strong and barely controllable emotion and then it says the suffering and death of Jesus okay I can say yeah that that's good but I feel like that was lacking a lot of things because if you look at the life of Jesus right if you look at his death and suffering it takes you, let's go back to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, right? That time where he came and he, he went into prayer because he was about to be given up, right? He was about to, to die and suffer and be crucified and all these things. And check this out in, in Luke 
22, 41 through 44. I want to take you guys really, really quickly here. And it says like this, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, Regal spoke about this last time, in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He was feeling a quote unquote barely uncontrollable emotion in that moment, right? Anguish, agony. He, he was in pain mentally, physically. He was feeling this. And in our lives, we, we come and we, and, and we experience those, those moments that we don't know what to do. In our personal lives, we feel this anguish. I don't know if anybody's felt that bad before, where you, the pain is so bad that you feel it physically. Anybody? Hmm. Well, this is Jesus. He's feeling this anguish. But what is it that helps him overcome? It's not the, it's not the emotion he's feeling. That's not passion. Passion is what helped him overcome the barely controllable emotion. That's passion. So, so we can say that, yes, we feel an emotion when we're passionate about something, but it doesn't control us because our passion is what guides us. Our passion is what helps us step over that emotion and say, I'm walking now in conviction. I'm walking in conviction because I know the truth. And despite the way I feel, all of a sudden, I'm going to step right over that emotion. I'm going to walk in truth. The other piece of it, it says, it's the suffering and death of Jesus. But yes, amen. That was a great expression of his, of his passion when he suffered and died and all the things he, that he did. But we don't just see it in his suffering and his death. We see it in his life. He was passionate the moment he came to this world. He lived in passion the moment he came to this world. And it was all about making a decision. He was determined. The, the, the choice was made when he was in heaven. He said, and, and the, you know, God the Father and God the Son, and they're talking, and, you know, there is no other way for my children to come back to me. There is no hope for them. And Jesus says, I'll be that hope for them. And so he came down from heaven, from, from his throne, and he chose to live amongst us and live this life of death. Do you realize that Jesus, as a man, was dying every day? He knew this. He, he didn't live dying in heaven. He was, he's eternal. But he comes to the world, and he experiences this body that we take on. And so he, he realizes, can you imagine an eternal God in 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 a carnal body, a, 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 you know, a limited body, experiencing that death every day and having to remember and remind themselves, bro, I'm the, I'm the king of kings. So, so he comes down and, and check this out. Let, if you start off with the life of Jesus when he's, well, when he's a boy, right? He came and he determined what he wanted to do in passion, to live in intimacy with the Father, Right? He went out and he did great wonders. But from the, from the moment he was 12 years old, or even before, who knows? We don't know the whole life, right? But we can take pieces, bits and pieces of Jesus' life, and we can look at the passion that he was living in already. Check this. You come into uh, Luke, uh, chapter 2, verse 40, 46 and 47. Check this out. It says like this. 
Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. By the way, guys, sorry, man. I meant to like put a timer <laughs> just because it's good to have a timer. So I'm just going to put a timer right now. Anyways, let's move on. So now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. This is Jesus. They found him in the temple. The story behind this, just to give you guys an understanding of what's going on, is they had come to Jerusalem, uh, the family, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, they all came. And uh, they were leaving. I think it was the Passover that was occurring. So they were celebrating the Passover, all that stuff. They leave after celebrating that because everybody used to go to Jerusalem, right? And then celebrated. And then after that, they would go back home. They were walking back home. And Mary and Martha realized that Jesus is not with them. He stayed behind. So they had to turn around and look for Jesus. 12 years old. You know where he went back? He went back to the temple. He wasn't looking for a friend. He wasn't. Okay, I'm sure Jesus played, played around a lot, right? But, but they're going back home. And, may, and, and it seems to be that he wasn't necessarily thinking, yeah, I'm going to get back home. I'm going I'm to go hang out with my friends. We're going to go play. We're going to mess with, do this and that. No. He turns around and he goes straight back to the temple. Because you know what was in his mind and in his heart? Just knowing more about God. That was his passion. What happens when we're passionate about something? <laughs> when we're passionate. That's all that consumes our thoughts. I, I know because my passions were an obsession to me. I, I was obsessed when I was racing. When I was racing, what happened? I, that was all that I wanted to do. The, I remember the first time I raced. Uh, I went out there on the track, I, and Jenny went with me. And it was a track. It was just a track. Day. It was at nighttime. They used to have nighttime track days. And I used to go out there, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. I bought this trailer that I rigged it up some weird, crazy way. And I tried to tie my, I didn't know how to tie the ties on my motorcycle. I didn't know how to do that. I just know I needed to get to the track. I was like, bro, I'm getting there somehow. And then she drove behind me. She was like, oh, my God. Okay, I'm just going to go with you because something's going to happen. I know Tito. So, so I'm driving, and all of a sudden, my one of the – I didn't tie it right enough, and my, my motorcycle was, like, sideways. It was almost falling into the street, into the highway. I get there. I'm like, fine, we made it. And then I, I gear up. I get ready to go out on the track the first time ever. And I'm like, I'm off. And then I'm, you know, I'm learning turning. It's weird on the bike. I'm learning how to turn. It's, it's funky. But I'm like, whoa, this is kind of cool. And I'm looking at the ground, and I can't believe how close I am to it. And then when I come back from the whole racing thing, I realize that my brake reservoir, the thing was completely off. Like, I didn't have the cap on my brakes. I, I could have died. You know, I'm going over 100 miles an hour, and there's walls right in front of you. There's nothing to stop you. And then I was like, whoa, my God. And I freaked out. I was like, oh, I could have died. Oh, my God. And I'm thinking, bro, when I can do this again, when can I, when can I get out there again? I want to do it. And, and the more I did it, the better I got at it and the more passionate I became. And that's what, that's what happens when we're passionate. That, that's, it's, it's constantly revolving in our minds. So, so we get back to the story and we see the life of Jesus. Check this out. Uh, it says, now it was so that after three days they found him, right? He was sitting in the temple. And check this out. He was both listening to them and asking them questions. So this is Jesus, 12 years old. He's with all the teachers in the temple, and he's listening and asking questions. Okay, you're 12. Okay, fine. 47, and all who heard him were astonished. Why? Why were they astonished? It wasn't just that he was asking questions. They, they could have been astonished at his questions. But check this out. At the end of verse 47, it says, and his under, they were astonished at his understanding 
and his answers. Now, check this out. The word astonished in the Greek, this is what, this is what it means. It means to throw out of position. Look what Jesus does to them the moment he starts answering and, and responding and doing things. He takes the teachers out of their position of teaching. He takes those people that have studied the word their whole lives. This guy is only 12 years old and he's marveling them. And he takes them out of their position. He goes, wait, you have a position that you're not really supposed to, you're not, you're not justified to carry right now. That's not your position. Because you don't know, later on we know as he gets older that all they can do is marvel. They can marvel, but they can't inherit. See, that's what the religious spirit does. They can marvel. At what Jesus says, they know there's something powerful in it, but they don't know how to inherit it because they're stuck. They're stuck in their religious traditions. So, so what happens here is that uh, Jesus begins to speak and he throws them out of their very positions of teaching and he becomes a teacher. Wow, how can a 12-year-old begin to teach a bunch of scholars, a bunch of teachers of the word? Intimacy. What else did Jesus have? Okay, I'll give it to him. Maybe he had, I mean, when did he start reading back then? I don't know. Does anybody have that answer? I don't know. I didn't study that. When did Jesus start? Back in those days. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't rich. Jesus wasn't rich. Usually it was the wealthy, right? The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they knew how to read, right? When you were in that time, it was the people that were wealthy, well off, that knew how to read well. So then when did Jesus actually start studying the word? It, it has to tell us there was one thing. It was intimacy with the Father. From the moment he was a boy, all he knew how to do is speak to God. I don't know. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, let me say something for a second. How about this? How, how, about, how about in the in the law of Moses? How about if and they're like, whoa, we've never heard these words before. Where are they coming from? I don't know. I just want to pray to God every day. Something's in something inside of me just says, I gotta get on my knees. Something inside of me just says, I, I need to come to the place where I know God resides. I want to reside there. I want to reside in the place where God dwells. I want to build him a temple. Mm. You want to build him a temple for him to reside. Let him reside there. Don't get so caught up. Stop making plans. You know, as, as I was uh, preparing this word, I spoke to Regal. And, you know, I w it was heavy on me. It was heavy. This word was heavy on me because I know that it carries great weight. I don't, I don't come up here and I don't take this lightly. I don't. Quite honestly, I don't even know why I'm up here. I'm, I don't. Like, I'm not qualified to speak. I'm not. But all I know is that there's some moments that I've spent with the God, and he's giving me some things, and he's saying, you got to deliver that somehow. I just got to deliver it. How? I don't know. I don't know how you're going to deliver it. You, listen, I gave you a word. Move. Walk. And sometimes we're so caught up in, in what God's will is. God's will. Like the, the, if he wants me to serve in this ministry or in that ministry. Or, or I have this gift so I think I should be doing this. And God hands you something. Somebody here hands you something and says, man, why don't you just, why don't you just maybe help out uh, with, with, you know, with kids. Or I don't know. Maybe you're out there and you're handed an opportunity. And God is not looking at what we're necessarily skilled in. But he's saying, you have potential. I see it in you. That's why I hand it to you. God wants us to walk in with the potential that he sees in us, not the potential we see in ourselves. So 
so that we see that the religious spirit can't, can't discern the deeper truths. That we have to go beyond the tradition. We have to go beyond the study and come to this intimate place that nothing else occupies our mind other than him. It's not even what he can do. It's not even what we can do through him. Let me, let me say that again. It's not even what we can do through him. It's him. It's intimacy with the Father, not with the things of the Father. You know, that, that can cause a lot of us to question when we're not used the way we think we need to be used. It can cause us to question if we're really being used in this place, if we really should be in this place. But God's saying, man, it's like you're saying, God, I want to be used, you know, and you think there's, there's a great opportunity amongst the very body, amongst the very family to pour into people's lives. And he's saying, man, you, you keep looking at, at the church as your platform, but the world is my platform. The world is my platform. Stop planning your life. Stop thinking about the next step you have to take. The only step that matters is a step closer to me. That's what God is saying. So we don't have to ask the question is, how is God going to use us? How is God? You, 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 that's the wrong question to ask. The first question you need to ask is, Lord, how can I get closer to you? And how can I stay in that place so that when I step out, all the things that I brought with me, all the cares, all the, all the circumstances in this world, I brought it to the holy place. I brought it to the intimate place. I, I brought it to, to this obscure moment with you that nobody sees. And all of a sudden, when I step out, then those things are already given to God. And he just starts saying, all you need to do is stop making plans. You just got to start looking up. Stop looking at your notes. Stop looking at, the, at your calendar. Forget time. I don't live, God doesn't live in time. He's timeless. He's not concerned about giving you something by tomorrow. God wants to know what you're going to do today. Amen? So we see Jesus' passion was his intimacy since he was a young boy. It was his intimacy with the Father. Uh, and they spent their time, they spent their efforts on just proving him wrong the whole time. They couldn't receive anything. The, the, the moment, uh, the, the, the time that he was, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Actually, I think he healed a lot of times on the Sabbath, right? Jesus healed all the time and they were like bothered by this. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to do any work. And he's like, dude, I'm doing the greatest work you know. You don't, you don't know this work. You're talking about you, all the, they, they established a lot of man-made rules even within the Jewish culture. It wasn't just the 10 laws of Moses. They imposed rules on the, on the Jewish people. And he said, you don't know what you're talking about. This, this is not, I am the Sabbath. I'm here walking before you. You keep talking about I have to rest. I am rest. You ought to just come closer to me. Then you're going to find your rest. So it says that as he grew up, he found favor before the people and before God. Favor. And, it's, and you know what favor talks about when you hear the word favor? It says that his, it was talking about his spiritual condition. Check it out. This is, this is what one of the definitions in the lexicon it says. It says, um, Jesus, um, sorry, he grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor. And it says, when you look at that word favor, it's the spiritual condition of one governed by 
the power of divine grace. And I'm sorry, I didn't give you the reference to that verse. That's Luke chapter 3, verse 52. As we read that, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So, he, um, so that word favor actually means spiritual condition. His spiritual condition. That's where he was focused on. He was always focused on that. Look at, look at, look at uh, another chapter in the Bible uh, of Luke. It says on Luke 5, chapter 16. So he himself, this is talking about Jesus when he was an adult now. Okay? Now we, we, we looked at Jesus as he was a young boy and the passion he had and the focus he had on God. And now Jesus as a man, when he was already in his ministry, it says, So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. All the time. He went out there and he, and he did great wonders before the people, right? He brought his disciples with him. He did so many amazing things. But it was from this one place that he kept returning to every time. He withdrew often. After he went out there, the only thing that kept consuming his thoughts is, as much as I'm giving to these people, there's one place that I need to return to, and that's getting close to God again. I need to get on my knees again. This is Jesus, God speaking. I need to come before God again. Look at the example that Jesus himself is, is, is showing us. Do you think he did this for us to marvel? Like the religious leaders? Did Jesus just live this life so that we can be like, wow, man, Jesus was amazing. It's so powerful. Man, I wish, if only I can do the things that Jesus did. What did he say? Do you, do you remember what he said? Greater works. Greater works. If only, see, he walked, and he walked in intimacy, but we're not just called to marvel at what he did. He did it for a reason. He had his disciples, and he called them with him everywhere he went. He looked, look at all the things I do, the wonders that I've done, all the works that I've done, but look at this. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he brings Peter, James, John, and all the disciples. It says he was a, throw, a stone's throw away. They can see him. They, they know what he's doing. And what was he trying to express to them? He was trying to show them what intimacy really is, always. He did intimacy with them, and then he comes back to them and says, even in my worst pain, I want you to see the intimacy I have with my father. And he calls them to experience, to, to observe that, not so they can just sit and marvel at it, but they, so that they can inherit it. And then you look into the book of Acts. We have John. He's with his, his disciples. They have this experience before his death, right? This intimacy that he has before the Father, they observe it, they see it. They, they can't understand a lot of things, but something happens in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, listen to, the, to the, what it says, the book of Acts. Acts of the apostles. Greater works occurred right after Jesus. They walked in greater works. So the acts, the works of the apostles came from intimacy as well. They inherited what they saw. The acts of the apostles. Greater works than these you will, you will do. And they lived in that greater work. Why? Well, if you read the life of Paul, and you, if you read Peter, and you read, if you see how the apostles lived, it was intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Father. They never left that place. And now we're called to inherit that. We cannot, we cannot move away from that same inheritance we can't just sit and be like, wow, I don't know if I can do that, uh, Peter. He was the rock, you know. I don't know if I can do that, John. He was the beloved. 
But what we have to realize that we're called to an inheritance is to become the beloved. Can, do you believe that you're also called beloved? That he wants to give you that same title? Because your greatest passion is just coming in prayer to the Lord? That's it. Your whole life transforms as a result of that. Check this out. I want, I want to show you guys how in the life, in our lives, we're called to inherit this. Look at the, uh, I want to look at Joshua 13, 14 real quick. It says in Joshua 13, 14, only the tribe of Levi, he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance. As he said to them, the tribe of Levi was one of the tribes of Israel, one of the 12 tribes back in the Old Testament. What happens is they come into the promised land that they've been walking in for 40 years with Moses. Joshua walks them across the Jordan and into the promised land. This was the promise of God that they would receive a land that he had set apart for them, right? So they enter this land and he starts dividing the land amongst all the tribes. You'll take the east side. You'll take the west side. He just starts giving each tribe according to what his promises were, right? But there was one tribe that never received a piece of property. The tribe of Levi never received a piece of property. He says to them, the sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire will be your inheritance. <laughs> what does that mean? Do you guys know what we're called? They were priests. The tribe of Levi were priests. What are we called? Priests. Royal, we are a royal priesthood. So is, then, is that what we're supposed to inherit? We don't have to worry about inheriting the land. We don't have to worry about that. He already promised us the land. All we have to do is worry about inheriting one thing, bringing our offering to the Lord. We bring what we have to God. Lord, I'm coming to that intimate place. Nobody else has the right to come before you, but you've called me to come close to you. You've called me to offer you something that you are pleased with, that you burn up and you say, man, well done, good and faithful servant. You may enter your rest. Can you enter that rest? Because you have this passion inside of you, this one focus that only calls you into one thing. You come and you bring your offering. I don't care about the land. God gives that to me because he's good. God gave you the land already. You don't have to try to, to, to draw a, a square piece of property and say, Lord, this is what you give me. And he said, man, you've got it all wrong. The only thing you have that's of any worth is when you come before my feet and you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through, I'm giving you guys a lot of Bible right now, right? Amen. We are called to inherit this now, okay? We inherit it, this passion is inherited from Jesus. He had a passion. He handed it over to the apostles. He handed it over to his disciples. Those disciples handed that passion over to those people that, that they were in uh, you know, entrusted with, right? And those people handed it on to those people. Do you think that that passion ever died? Has that passion died? I don't, I don't. I don't see it. I see it amongst the many people here. I think there's more than 12 disciples in this place, I believe it, that are burning for God. Not for the things of God. For God. 
Can I hear an amen? Are there 12 disciples, at least 12, that are burning for God right now? Then that means you can inherit it or you have inherited it. Then if 12 of them burning for, for God and only God were able to transform the world around them, they didn't care about inheriting the world. They only cared about their inheritance that affected the world. Amen? Okay. Inherit we, what we now offer. We, we inherit something now, not just later. Sometimes we live this life. When we think about inheritance, we say, oh, when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. But we, one of the things we've been talking here is that we actually believe that we are supposed to actually bring heaven here in our hearts. And we live heaven on earth. I mean, we're not, we are living in this world, but we're not from the world, correct? Okay. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27, it says, 24, do you not know that those who run a race in in a race, oh, sorry, let me read that again. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain, that you may win. Okay? It. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it for, to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown... Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Is our uncorruptible crown something that we receive in heaven? Or is our uncorruptible crown something that you've received? Have you received salvation? Okay. Have you, do you have that crown with you now? Or you're still hoping that you're going to make it to heaven? Okay, so my passion, the one that I live, tells me that I've received the crown. Now all of a sudden, I'm not running to win the race. I've won the race. All I have to do is finish it. That's all we got to do. He says, you believe in me? There's a genuine transformation in your heart where there's no other greater passion in your, in your life for you to come closer, step closer to where I am at. And, and just come to my feet, and that's where you're satisfied, that's where, that's where you, you are fulfilled in that place, you have a crown that I've given you. Just keep running. You raced. It, it didn't become any more about the race of me winning. As I got more into it, as, as, as I grew into this lifestyle of racing, when I raced motorcycles, then all of a sudden, my passion was for the sport. I mean, I loved winning. It was great. And I, and I gave my all to, to win. All my efforts were poured in to be the best that I can be. But it wasn't because I always wanted to be first place. My passion was I need to get out there again. I just need to go out again. I need, just need to race. I need to feel the, 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 the cement scraping my knees. I need to feel the speed, the rush. And if you guys don't think that this relationship with God is a rush, it's, it's given me greater rush than I've ever had racing in that intimate place not reading sometimes I'm reading I'm like okay and I and and I'm just filled with words but it never enters my heart but when you bring that back to the intimate place you say man my passion Lord as much as I love reading as much as I've learned from you there's a revelation that comes to me when I bring this to your feet and you speak to me in a way that I can that I, I I've never heard before I 
I want to read something to you guys. It's about passion. You know, I was, I was talking about um, our passion and how, how our passion um, is inherited and how it hasn't died out. Well, this book, anybody read this book, Tortured for Christ? Um, I book is probably one of my favorite books ever. And I've read amazing, great books, you know, teaching the word of God and, and you know, books that, that have a lot of balls in it. I'm reading one called Wisps of Wildfire. Just amazing books that blow your mind. But you know what blew my mind about this book? These people are worshiping and, this is the word, bro, joyful as they're getting slaughtered. Joyful as they're getting slaughtered. Like, I don't know this, man. I don't know this. I read it, and it, man, messes me up all the time. Check this out. I'm going to read one, one quick little piece of it to you. Um, so just to give you a backdrop of what this book is, basically, in the time of the Nazi regime, back in those times, um, this is actually a setting back in those times, but um, in, um, what do you call this country? Uh, Russia, Okay. These are people that lived in Russia that were persecuted for their faith because of, um, what, do you, what do you call that? that, that communism. No, cause the, the communist way of thinking back then and, and, and the, the Nazis and how they were trying to do away with all this other, you know, anything else that had to do with what the, way, the way they believed. So they're living in a communist country back in those times of the Nazis and they're, being, they're just being persecuted for their faith but in the worst ways I've ever heard in my life. And this is not the only book you can read with regards to uh, martyrdom and all that stuff, but this is ridiculous, this book. Now, in one of the stories, uh, uh, the author, William Worm, or Richard Wormbrandt, starts speaking about one of the experiences that they had. And it says like this, one of our workers on the underground church was a young girl. The communist police discovered that she secretly spread gospels and taught whew, children about Christ. They decided to arrest her, but to make the arrest as agonizing and painful as they could, they decided to delay her arrest a few weeks until the day she was to be married. On her wedding day, the girl was dressed as a bride. Man, guess me every time. The most wonderful, joyous day of a girl's life. Suddenly, the door burst open and the secret police rushed in. When the bride saw the secret police, she held out her arms toward them, I have to try not to, to be handcuffed. They, they roughly put the manacles on her wrists. She looked toward her beloved. Oh, man. She looked toward her beloved, then kissed the chains and said, I thank my heavenly bridegroom for this jewel he has he has presented to me on my marriage day. I thank him that I am worthy to suffer for him. She was dragged off with weeping Christians and a weeping bridegroom left behind. They knew what happens to young Christian girls in the hands of communist guards. Her bridegroom faithfully waited for her. After five years, she was released, a destroyed broken woman looking 30 years older she said 
It was the least she can do for her Christ. Such beautiful Christians are in the underground church. Come on. Passion? That you can say, man, if this is my offering to God, I do it with joy? To be taken away from her bridegroom on her wedding day? To look at her bridegroom and say, no, no, don't worry about it. God is beautiful. This is a beautiful offering to my Lord. Wow. There's people that are still to this day living in that passion because despite all the things they can encounter, they're not worried about trying to gain more wisdom in the word of God. They're focused on staying in the intimate place. Their passion growing closer to God. Them offering up something that never has been offered. No matter what is asked of them, they'll say yes to it. Because it's one place that they desire, they, they desire to reside in. And that's as close as possible to the Lord. Do you know our salvation is a gift? But you know this is what I believe. And sanctification is an opportunity. Salvation, he gave it to you. But your sanctification, that's an opportunity for you to give your best to God. That's an opportunity for you to come as near to him as possible. She placed her affections on God. Everything she had, she placed it. You know what their affections are? I'm not going to go over that because I want to end. I want to end. You know what? Let, let's, let's have the, uh, the music ministry come up as, as I just stop here. There's, there's a lot more, but I'm not going to even go. I just want to stop with this. In the Bible, it talks about our affections, placing our affections on him. Um, and... Uh, our affections are actually our mind, our emotions, everything, all of us, okay? Those are our affections. It says like this in Colossians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 2. And it says like this. If ye be risen with Christ, I think that's old King James. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Seek those things which are above. The only thing that matters up there is not heaven, it's God. It's he who resides in heaven. He who, who is heaven, right? We, you've heard that before, I guess. What's heaven without God? Seek things which are above. Set your affections, your mind, your opinions, all the things that you think about, that, that which consumes your thoughts, all your passions. Set your affections on the Lord, on things above, not on things on the earth. When we live in spiritual reality, when we live this life in our spiritual condition growing as Jesus' spiritual condition grew in favor before God and man, then, then and only then, where our affections, our mind, our opinions, all ourselves now be set on the things above. When our mind, sometimes, some of us, all, all we need to do is, is make a determination. Make your mind up already. You've made too many plans for yourself. Make your minds up. Who will you serve? That's what happened with, the, with Israel. When they entered the promised land, Jesus tells them, choose today who you will serve. Because I give you this land, not for anything you've done, because I'm good, because I'm holy. I offer it to you. Now, what are you going to do with it? What passion will you have? Choose who you will serve. Let your affections be placed on me. And as you place your affections on me, I'm going to give you inheritance. I already gave it to you. Choose today who you will serve. And that's all we have to do. Because once we choose, once we make our determination that
that we're going to stay in passion for one thing, one focus, we stay in that place, then all of a sudden, we transform the land that we enter. That one place transforms the world around us. The people we encounter transform. Our melody starts uh, starts being poured out before them and they see a passion that's given to one thing and they change. Do you know the land that was given to them was, in the Bible says it was the land of the Amorites. Do you know that the, the Amorites were a pagan culture? So how did they transform the world around them? They transformed the world around them because they chose, they made a determination. I want one thing. I want one passion. I want one God. I'm going to give it all to him. And because I'm in that place, then this world around me is going to transform. This is my promised land. Let's stand. Choose today who you will serve. Don't set your passions, don't set your efforts on all the great things that we are to do here. I want to say this. I know that this church, this family, this body, the core of this leadership is all about intimacy with the Lord first and foremost. That all the things we do here, all the ways we serve in in whatever capacity you serve, in the the places that nobody sees you, God honors you for that. And, And God bless you for everything you do. But there's one thing that needs to always be centered and focused. It's your intimacy, it's your passion for God. Never your passion for what you do. And I think as we grow closer as a body, what's gonna happen here is this accountability that we have, this this, uh, intimacy that me and you share is gonna cause greater worship unto the Lord. It's gonna cause us to be stirred for greater passion. From passion to passion. From Jesus's passion to our passion. We receive his inheritance. Passion begets passion when it comes from the one place, intimacy. So when someone comes up to you and say, hey, how are you doing, brother? You know, I, I noticed this and, and, I, and, and we start getting close to each other and we start seeing, you know, a little bit of what your life is all about. Man, those are great opportunities for sanctification. Those are great opportunities to re, realign ourselves and say, okay, well, you know what? I know why I can't do this job. I know why this job is a burden to me right now. Now I get it. I know why it's so hard for me to do what I have to do or why I struggle so much. It's because I forgot the most intimate place, the most, the, the greatest focus that I'm supposed to have is being passionate with God. Passionate in prayer with God. It sounds so easy, but sometimes it's so easy to forget. Right? So, I don't know where each of us are in this place. I don't know where you might find yourself. If, if you are here and you've never been here before I don't know if there's anybody new but if you're not you know what maybe this message didn't I don't know maybe you didn't you heard something but you still need to know who God is and you know what my challenge is as our family comes here that that this is not the message that's going to change your life that that's what's going to change your life is if you just stay here for a little longer and you start talking to one of these people that are in passion for God that'll change your life the message won't change your life but just get a little closer wait just don't leave don't leave right away when we see somebody come here in this place don't assume that the word is what transformed their life now call them to the side hey brother sister i don't know you know let me talk to you for a second let me show you this passion that's inside of me and you see how that melody transforms their life when we leave this this building our platform or the one that Jesus, that God gives us is the world. It's not this place. 
we hear, we, we, we're a bunch of brothers and sisters that we encourage each other, right? We, we offer, uh, we, we, we get close to each other and, and, we, and we serve in this place. And that's beautiful because we lift each other up here. We lift each other up in worship. We lift each other up in service. We lift each other up in prayer. So many different ways that we lift each other as a body here. So I think sometimes this, this place that we reside in, sometimes that we come together and we do life with each other for some, you know, for some time here, it's meant to lift us up so that when we go out to, to what God has entrusted us with in our jobs, with our families, um, when we're in the supermarket, whatever, that we're not, that all of a sudden our, our, perception, our perception is changing because all our mind, all our opinions, all our thoughts, all our hearts are in one intimate, passionate place with the Lord. Amen. So wherever you may be in your life, uh, whatever is going on, I want to invite you guys now, if you've lost that intimate place, if you left or your, your focus was, was veered to the left or to the right from the intimate place, from prayer, from obscurity, from not needing a table, but just needing to be known your beloved before God. If that is something that's moving in your heart right now, if you, you know that you just need to come back to passion with God, with one thing, then I invite you where you're at. You can come if you want and we will absolutely pray for you, okay? But these hands aren't hands for healing. These hands are hands to just be given 100% to the Lord, you know? Your God is your healer, amen? Because it starts here. It starts in your heart. It starts in a genuine offering to God. So, amen. If, if you want to be prayed for by a brother and sister up here, you want to come back to this place. Otherwise, let's, let's give an offering to God right now. Let's come into passion for a moment as, as the music maybe plays something. Amen.